0: Welcome to God's house. Thank you for being here this morning. Would you stand with me as we begin our time of worship together? The God of rushing wind and fire dwells here in our presence in this hour and every hour. Glory be to God, who strengthens us and blesses all people with peace. God, who called all the world into being, Calls forth new life in us today. Glory to God, the first spirit and God, whose spirit unites all people in a common language of love, confirms his gifts in us as we gather here. Glory to God, we can walk in confident expectations. Hallelujah. Gracious God, you have heard our words. Make them true in each of us. May they be true this morning in all of us. In Christ's name, amen. Join us in singing.
1: It's great to see you as we gather on this uh, Pentecost Sunday we celebrate the birth of the church. Take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. As you can see from the bulletin, there are a number of things happening in the life of the church. I encourage you to uh, look at those and engage yourself in as many as you can. You see the worship schedule for the next few months as well as that does uh, change a little bit in the coming weeks. Uh, also, we uh, continue to pray about situation in Nepal. And there is information in the bulletin about how you can contribute funds to the Western Church or through World Hope. As the ongoing relief effort continues and will be continuing, I'm sure, for a long time. And we also want to remember our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. And particularly today, uh, these families in Mexico. And we ask for God's grace uh, upon them as they uh, live out their faith in a hostile environment. I also want to uh, to mention that we're blessed with a, a new addition to our church family this week. Emma Hope Odin was born uh, Wednesday morning. And uh, we're very excited about that. Thanks. I don't think she made it to church today, but uh, maybe she's listening, I think, in the streaming. Uh, But uh, we're we're pleased and happy about uh, her entrance into the world and our family and our church family. And uh, we again give thanks to God for the gift of new life. He is so gracious. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Pray together. Merciful God, we confess to you now that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. We confess the sins that are a burden to us and the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. We confess our sins as a church, hesitating to love one another, to forgive one another, to give ourselves to one another like Christ. Father, forgive us. Send the Holy Spirit upon us as you did your disciples, that he may give us power to live as you have called us to live. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from the 30th chapter of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins, and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers, and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor, and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old, and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own, their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near, and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? declares the Lord. So you will be my people, and I will be. Your God. Thanks be to God. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Will you stand with me as we sing the doxology and prepare for the offering? Give us for those many times when we think we don't have enough. Help us instead to be grateful and help us to give this morning with grateful hearts. In Christ's name.
1: the opportunity to offer our prayers to God together as we pray. If you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Most gracious Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us. For all the ways in which you are engaged in our lives, every moment, every circumstance. We thank you. We praise you. And we bow before you. Father, this morning we pray for the burdens and the concerns that are on our hearts. We think of all who are grieving today and grief comes in a variety of forms and it tends to ebb and flow in our lives. We pray that you will comfort every grieving heart today. We pray for all who are struggling with illness and ask for your healing grace upon them. Today we especially pray for Bunny Austin, Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Bruce Brenneman, for Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, for Emily Crickler, and for others who are on our hearts this morning. We pray your healing grace upon each of them. Lord, we pray for this world in which we live. We think of the people in Nepal and Ask for your comforting presence on all who are grieving. We pray for your grace upon all who are trying to come to grips with what life is in front of them. We pray for those who are involved in uh, the cleanup and the restoration and trying to meet the very basic needs of so many people. We ask that you will empower them and strengthen them. We pray that your church will be a visible presence in the midst of all that's happening there. And that through your church, people who may not have thought of you might see you in a new light. We pray, Father, for our brothers and sisters who face persecution throughout the world, and especially we think of these Christians in Mexico. We ask that you would comfort them, that you would protect them that you would help them to be such a a consistent witness of your grace that those who have persecuted them, those who have uh, opposed them, might actually come to listen to them and to open their hearts to you. And Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we want to give thanks for all of the men and women who have sacrificed their lives so that we might have freedom. We don't know all of the names of all of the people, but we thank you for their willingness to sacrifice. And Lord, we pray that as people in this nation, that we would have a sense of of using our freedom in a way that would bring glory to you that would advance your kingdom and that would represent you in the most positive way. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your mercy and grace poured out upon us. Be glorified in all that we are and all that we do. And as we continue in worship, May we have a sense of your Holy Spirit poured out upon us. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.
2: Creep.
0: with me for the reading of the gospel, and then stand, remain standing afterward for the hymn. From John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord.
1: seated. Well, this Pentecost Sunday, thinking about the church, today is uh, the day we remember the birth of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. And as I ponder the the church, there's a part of me that worries about the church. I, I worry about um, the persecution, the opposition that the church is facing in so many places of the world. We hear stories of places where the church historically has been so strong and now it's virtually non-existent. I, I worry about the direction sometimes that the church is taking and some of the, the decisions that we are making as the church worldwide. There's a lot to, of, to bring anxiety to us if we care at all about the church. And as I've been pondering that, I was thinking as we've been working through John chapters 20 and 21 and working through the Easter season and thinking about the resurrection of Christ, and I think John 21 has something to say to us about those concerns, those Feelings of anxiety we have about the church. As we read this morning, Peter and the disciples are at the Sea of Galilee. They have witnessed, have encountered Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, twice. Both of those times were on Easter Day, the Day of Resurrection, in the morning and in the or the evening. I'm sorry, the first one was in the evening of that day, and then a week later, uh, they encounter him again. And it seems as though some time has passed, and now uh, jesus they're waiting for Jesus to come again. They're in Galilee like he told them to, to, and they're waiting for him, and he isn't showing up. And finally Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the others say, we'll go with you. And they go out in the boats, and they spend all night fishing, and they end up with nothing. And the next morning, there's a solitary figure standing on the beach, and he calls out to them, have you caught anything? No, well, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And they do. And they bring in this huge haul of fish. And John says, that's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat and races in. And they have this amazing encounter, eating breakfast with Jesus and talking to Jesus. As you read that story, as, I've been, as I read that story, my mind drifted back to a story that sounds very similar in the fifth chapter of Luke's gospel. Well, here the, here's what Luke writes. This is Jesus has just been in the boat. He's teaching from the boat. And then it says, Jesus said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, this story in John 21, again, huge catch of fish, and it threatens the net. But what fascinates me when you compare these two stories is that in Luke chapter 5, he tells us that they have this great catch of fish, and the nets are about to tear, and the boats are about to sink, and Peter tells Jesus, get away from me. And in John 21, they catch, again, a huge catch of fish, and the nets do not tear, and the boats do not sink, and Peter can't run to Jesus fast enough. And I think there is something in these two stories that speak to us about the precarious nature of the kingdom pre-resurrection versus post-resurrection. I think there's a metaphor in these two stories. In the story in Luke, the the nets begin to tear, the boats begin to sink. I think it's a metaphor for the precarious nature of the kingdom as Jesus goes through his life on earth in his ministry. He is fully God, but he is also fully human. And sometimes I think we forget that. I'm not sure everyone believes that when Jesus is tempted, he's really tempted. He really is tempted to sin. When he goes into the wilderness and, he, and Satan comes to him and tempts him, it's not a game. He really is tempted. He could just as easily have said, yeah, I think I'll jump off here and watch the angels protect me. He, if he didn't, if he's not really tempted, then the writer of Hebrews is lying to us. The writer of Hebrews says that, that we have a high priest who understands what we've been through because he's tempted in the same ways that we are. And it's not really temptation if you can't choose to sin. Jesus doesn't sin. He, every time he chooses not to sin, but he could. And there is this precarious nature to the kingdom all through his life. It is the huge risk that God takes to send Jesus and to, to trust him that he is so open to the Father and the Spirit that he will do what is right. But he's tempted. And Satan is doing everything possible to destroy Jesus and to, to, um, to end what Jesus wants to do. I mean, Jesus could have easily at some point have said, I'm sick and tired of loving people. I'm sick and tired of responding in a spirit of grace. I'm sick and tired of of always speaking the truth. All being taken advantage of, being walked on. And I'm not really all that excited about going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, Father, is it possible that maybe this doesn't need to happen? But he does. He obeys every moment. But there is this precarious nature to the kingdom all through the life of Jesus. It is the risk of our risk taking God. But now, on 21, there is no more risk. Jesus is crucified, he is resurrected, it is finished. The the kingdom is no longer in jeopardy. It is secure, it's safe. And the only way I could think about describing this, I've been searching and searching for the right word, and I couldn't find it, so I I had to make up one. And I think what we're describing here is that the kingdom is like an unterrible net. It cannot be torn. It doesn't matter how many fish are in it. It is not going to tear. It's secure. And our faith as Christians, as the church, rests on that truth. That the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of our risen Lord, is secure. And we live in that. And we need to know that, and we need to embrace that, and we need to be embraced by it, because we live in a world in which the church is under pressure continually. Often the pressure is from the, from the outside, of this, from outside of the church. In the book of Acts, not too many days after Jesus has this encounter with the disciples, Peter and John preach the gospel, and they're arrested and then they're arrested again and they're beaten and they're arrested again and again and again and eventually they are martyred. Stephen is stoned to death because he's a follower of Jesus. Paul is beaten and imprisoned and eventually martyred because he's a follower of Jesus. And on and on it goes. You look at the history of God's people through the ages and those their stories endless stories of the most righteous godly people being persecuted. And martyred for their faith. And in the midst of that, it is, it is, we're, we're tempted to wonder if the net will hold. We're tempted to wonder if the pressure is too great that the net's going to tear. But it doesn't. Caesar, Nero tries to tear the net, but he can't. Herod tries to tear the net but he can't. Adolf Hitler tries to tear the net but he can't. Stalin tries to tear the net but he can't. Mao tries to tear the net but he can't. Idi Amin tries to tear the net, he can't. ISIS is trying to tear the net, it can't. That doesn't mean that the persecution isn't real, that the pressure isn't real, that there, there aren't, there isn't a sacrifice, there isn't a price to pay. It is very real. But in all of that, the kingdom is secure because it is the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, who finished, who has conquered every foe, including death. It is an unterrible net. But often the opposition is not from the... uh, The pressure is not from outside of the net. Often it's from inside the net. Every time a Christian leader acts in an unchristian way, we wonder if the net's going to hold. Every time you and I act in unchristian ways, we wonder if the net's going to hold. Look at the New Testament and virtually all of the letters of Paul and Peter are written to churches that are struggling with some serious stuff. And you wonder, really, wow. They're going through some pretty bad things. And, and you, you have to wonder, well, is, the, is the church going to make it? Is the church going to hold? Is the kingdom secure? When the church gets wrapped up in, in corruption and self-centeredness, and all of the ways of bitterness and, and slander and vengeance and hatred, and all the ways in which we hurt each other, and the ways in which we act anything but like Christ, we wonder if eventually it's just all going to disappear. It's going to be too much pressure, and the net's going to rip, and the kingdom's going to be destroyed. And Jesus says, No way. doesn't mean we don't need to change our behavior. It doesn't mean that the church isn't sometimes a, a poor witness of Christ. But Christ is still bigger than the stuff that we are wrestling with. The kingdom is secure in Christ. And it strikes me that sometimes the pressure is as much from potential success as it is from potential failure. Sometimes the, the thing that, that creates a, a negative atmosphere for the church is not so much that we've messed up, but that we've been so successful. And it, and it leads us down a, a bad path. When just a, a, a few sentences after the, where we ended this passage, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? As we talked a few weeks ago, there are all kinds of discussion about what these are. And there are a variety of opinions about that. But it makes me wonder if Jesus didn't look over at that, at that pile of fish and say, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than how much you love fishing? I'm not a fisherman. I, I really have not fished all that much in my life. And primarily because, I got to be honest, it feels kind of boring to me. Uh, it's not, I, I want something I can do that's more active. Um, and I know that there are a lot of people who fish because it's not active. It's solitude and it's quiet and, and I get that, but that's just, that's not how I'm wired. But when I was, when I was young, we were kids, my grandfather would go on vacation with them and he would take us fishing. And I loved being with my grandfather and, and it was terrific. But quite frankly, I got bored to tears out there in the boat, just sitting there waiting for a fish to come up. And when we lived in Wisconsin, the lake in our town always froze solid every year. And you look out and you see hundred ice shanties all over that lake. And one time, the guys in the church talked me into going ice fishing with them. So I'm out there, you know, on the ice, and this, my line through this little hole, and nothing happening. And I'm thinking to myself, now I'm bored and freezing. Ah, uh, I, I got to be honest, I can't quite wrap my mind around ice fishing. I don't really get that. I, I would, I'm much more interested in, in doing other things. But then one summer, we were on vacation with some of my family members. And my brother-in-law uh, rented a, a guy. got a guide for us. We were at Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. And he took us out and we, were, we caught a whole bunch of striper bass. These are just a few of them that we kept. Now that was fun. And what I discovered is, what I don't like is drowning worms. What I like is catching fish. (laughs) And it was exhilarating to catch fish. When the fish are biting, I like fishing. And it can get into your system and you don't want to stop. In a few days, after this encounter with Jesus, a few weeks maybe, we don't know exactly... The Holy Spirit's going to come upon the disciples and Peter is going to stand in front of the people of Jerusalem and he's going to preach about Jesus. And 3,000 people are going to open their hearts to Christ. Wow. You talk about exhilarating. That gets into your blood. And it's awesome and it's exciting. And it it must have been mind-boggling to them as it would be to us. And the experience of helping someone open their heart to Christ, there's not a lot of experiences in life that are better than that. And we we live for those and we love them and we thank God for them. But we have to be careful because sometimes we get so enamored with that that what we're looking for is the experience of the moment instead of looking for Jesus who creates the experience of the moment. And what becomes more important to us is success instead of faithfulness. What becomes more important to us is making sure that, we are, that we're fishing and we're catching fish. And that's what we live for instead of just being content to be in the boat with Jesus whether fish are biting or not. And that kind of success, while it's awesome and we give thanks for it, it can actually sometimes turn our attention away from Jesus if we aren't careful. And it hinders the church. Because the kingdom then becomes much more about us than about Jesus. It makes me wonder if that isn't why John tells us that they catch 153 fish. When you read that, does that jump out at you? David James Duncan says that it is it blows his mind it's it's an to think that the disciples are only having their third encounter with the resurrected Christ and during that encounter they're counting fish. I mean you can picture it in your mind Jesus is saying okay guys i got something just one second 56 57 58 50, we'll be right there 74 think, why would they waste their time counting fish? Well, I think it's because that's what fishermen do. You count fish. That's how you get paid. You, know, you only get paid for the, by you count the fish. And, and it's just sort of a habit for them. It's what you do when you're a fisherman. You, you count them. It's a part of the, the process. What's more amazing to me is not that they might count the fish. It's that John tells us how many fish they count. Of all the, the things in Scripture that we don't know, what we do know is they, had, they caught 153 fish. And there are all kinds of theories about why that's important for John to, to say it. It could be that it's just, it adds some historical credibility to it. Some people think it's just simply he's trying to tell us this is a huge amount of fish, even more than in Luke 5. There are others who see some mathematical properties in those numbers that relate to events and people. Uh, Some people look at this and say that it's an example of Gematria, numerology. Uh, The most, probably the most famous example of that is that Nero Caesar's name in Hebrew, when you put it into numerology, comes out 666. And some people say that's what's going on here. St. Jerome and some others said that in the time that John wrote, people believed that there were 153 different kinds of fish. And that John tells us how many fish they caught as as a subtle way of saying all of the fish were in the net. All the different kinds of fish were in the net. Implying that the kingdom is about all the people of the world. It it makes me think of Revelation 5 where John says that I looked and I saw people from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. Everyone's included. I don't know if that's exactly what John is trying to communicate, but I do like that idea. Because it reminds us that the kingdom is not just about people that look like you and me. It's not just about people whose lives are like yours and mine, who have the same taste that you and I have. It's so much bigger, so much more. And it's not just geographical. It's, we're not just talking about the kingdom being for people who live in, in Greece or in Australia or in Indonesia or in Ecuador or anywhere else. But it's about every element of life. Every discipline, every occupation, every social class, every community, whatever people do, whatever things people have not done, the kingdom is for everyone. And sometimes when we begin to process that, it makes us feel like there's too many fish. The the nets are going to break. There's too many fish. There's too much diversity. The the church, it, it just can't handle it. And what's our typical response? Maybe we need to throw out a few fish. Because I've come to discover that sometimes we are more enamored with protecting the net than we are with catching more Fish. We want the net. We want to make sure because we don't really believe the net's secure. We're not really convinced that Jesus has got it. That it's our responsibility to protect the net. And so we believe, the way we know to protect the net is to take the pressure off of it. And we can't take pressure off the outside very easily. So we just start throwing out fish. And we start, you start hearing conversations like, well, they don't worship the way we do, so maybe they're not in the net. Or their theological positions are different than ours, so they're not in the net. They don't do church government the way we do it, so they're not, let's throw them out of the net. We don't line up exactly the same with them, so we don't really want them in our net. It's too much diversity. It's too much work to get along with each other. It's We want unity, but we want unity because we're all just the same. But unity isn't all of us being the same. Unity is all of our diversity coming together. And even with that diversity and the differences of opinion and the strange ways that we all think and operate, we love each other and we care for each other. And we can do that because the kingdom is secure. We don't have to spend our time protecting the net. Christ is telling us over and over again, I got this. It's good. I'm resurrected. I've conquered all the foes. The net is secure. And instead of spending your time protecting the net, what I want you to do is go feed my sheep. Jesus says to Peter, You love me? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Take care of the flock. Be a witness for me. And I am convinced that if we believe the net is secure, the kingdom is secure, it is unterrible, then it gives us freedom to take risks. We have freedom to take the risk of loving people who are hard to love, even though it might mean being rejected. We can take risks as a church we can we can do new things even as we embrace the old things we can We can believe that the way of the cross really is the way of life, that we can live in a spirit of humility and vulnerability and truth. We can care about justice and we can give ourselves to people who are on the margins of the church and the margins of society. We can do that. We can sacrifice. We can live selflessly because everything we do and are as the church is safe and secure in the kingdom of Christ. Our calling is not to protect the net. Our calling is to toss the net. And to draw in the net. Because we believe that in the risen Christ, the net is safe. It's secure. And we can add more and more and more fish. It'll just keep expanding. Because it's the net of the risen Christ. As we come to this table this morning, this is a vivid reminder for us that the net is not ours, it's his. And he has secured the net through his death and resurrection and the promise of his reappearing. And as we come to this table this morning, we are coming to the table of the one who has conquered every foe, who tells us again and again and again that his kingdom is secure, not because of us, but because of him. And it gives us freedom to celebrate who he is. It gives us freedom to take risks as the church. It gives us freedom to come and to rejoice in what Christ has done for us and what he has promised us. It's one of the things I love about taking communion by intention as we come to the front and we walk up and sometimes I know it feels like we're, we're sort of queuing up in line and, and it, it, it may not may not have that sense of, of solitude that we get when we just sort of bow our heads in the, in the pew. And that's good, too. And that's an important part of, of taking communion as well. But one of the reasons I like having us come up is that we get to watch each other take communion. And we get to see how different we are. And we may see people that, that we have a great relationship with. We may see people that we don't have that great a relationship with. And we may see people who think the way we do. And we may see people who think very different from us. But we're all the church. And there's enough room in the church. There's enough room in the net. For all of us to be. Disciples of Christ. Because the net's secure. So I want to challenge us. To have a new sense of that security of the kingdom in Christ. And let Christ bury that deep in our hearts so that we can be the kind of Christians and the kind of church that looks more and more like Jesus. Holy Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for your kingdom that is secure in Christ. Assure us, Father, of that truth. And may it change the way we think and the way we live and even who we are as your church, your people in this place. We pray your abundant blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. Let it be food for our souls and a confirmation for us of the power of the risen Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. And again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by rose this morning, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. The altar rail is always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you or if you just simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. And we're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers and some cups of juice here. And if you, that's is helpful to you, just let me know as you come forward and I will serve you those. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. You don't have to be a member of this church. In like fact, this might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire to be a part of his living kingdom, then come, receive these gifts from the hands of our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.